Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. It is another week of American tennis, and uh, we're back full speed. And boy, the season is going full speed. If you are a coach, high school coach, college coach, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, pretty much what happens during the season is that it's like with a tennis team, let's put it this way. You have 10 players, you're coaching 10 teams. Each player has their own team. Their mental part of their game is one of their teams. Their forehand is part of their team. Their fitness is part of their team. Managing their day is another part of their team. Their ball striking is another part of their team. Their rally tolerance is another part of their team. And you can go on and on and on. And my assistant coach asked me the other day, he goes, uh, Coach, uh, I noticed that you don't write out practice uh, preparation. He said, did you ever? And I said, I sure did. My first five or seven years, my golly, I used to be uh, like a Mike Krzyzewski or a Dean Smith or a daggone Johnny Wooden because I read those his book, Johnny Wooden, and um, I used to have every minute planned out. And then all, all, that, I all that I found out for sure, for sure, was that the plan that I had might change in the first 10 minutes of practice. <laughs> and it, it, it because of so many variables. And I don't want to go off on this tangent here about, you know, the program today is unlocking the full potential of USA Tennis. But I did want to say that this is what I do. I Now at practice I have a theme. It might be a day where we're working on quick pressure stuff are delayed pressure fundamentals off of the ground, or first different different uh, different theme, and I have two or three that I stick to throughout the week. However, at practice I have uh, about four courts assigned where I work on guys' ground games, and then I have 
two or three courts where we have a ball machine set up and we work on return of serves. We work on first exchanges, and I usually have my volunteer assistant coach up there working on guys' confidence areas, whether it's a weapon drill or something. And then I always have one or two courts set aside that are courts set aside where I go, hey, Joe, you're going to go play Bill. Go on up there. I need to see who's better right now. And I have some type of competition every day. And now there are days where I'll set aside a um, competition um, day, but for the most part, I want the guys to think that they could, they might have to play a challenge match or a competitive match or a competitive set or a competitive tiebreaker each and every day, and they've got to just be ready to do it. And uh, they get they get pretty good at just sort of rolling with the punches. So that's what I do. I mean, we're very organized. We're very thorough. And then I have my assistant coach will do individual workouts with the players, hopefully in the mornings. When I was at Clemson, folks, it was a lot easier to do. I used to uh, have twice or three times a week, and sometimes the players who were very ambitious even came down four times a week. You're, you're limited to what you can do because of all the rules and the regulations and, the, you know, your time restraints. But I, I, the players would always come down and get individual work done on a particular stroke or something that they were working on. And uh, I think it's very important uh, that saying that you need to play twice a day if you want to be a player is very, very true. At least you – and it's very hard where I'm at now. I'm in a military school, and it's uh, very hard to get enough hours in, but we do, and we get to work in. But, folks, I wanted to tell you that, to start out by saying that, uh, look, um, the unlocking of full potential of USA Tennis, uh, I've got a certain way to do it. You have a certain way to do it. We all have a free way a freeway, and I, I want to, to emphasize this, you have a freeway to do it the way you feel is the best way to address what your strengths are and match them with your player's strengths and also to help that player be number one in the world at being themselves. That's a very important statement. Let that player become number one in the world at being who they are. The fastest way to mess up a player is to try to get them to be a cookie-cutter project because you have everything in such organized matter that, uh, you know, it, it usually will bomb. You know, number one in the world at – if you if, number one in the world at being yourself. If you try to copy Roger Federer and you do it perfectly at the very best, you will be a imitation. So all coaches have their strengths and their weaknesses. Players have their strengths and their weaknesses. But in the end, it comes down to that player seeking answers, and I'm so excited this morning. We have a player that really is our team leader. He's been shooting us motivational videos that he has been digging out of the YouTube and the different places on his own. And when that starts happening, man, oh, man, oh, man alive, you can go to the moon. Folks, we've got a special treat, I think, today. Uh, Coach Randy Blumendahl, who is one of the best developers of talent, I'm going to pump him up here a little bit and uh, talk about his accolades before he gets on so uh, he won't have to sit there and listen. 
this guy is a coach. I think there are 10 people in the country that can do what he does. Um, and he is a coach that not just gets it out of the players, but he knows how to use the time each day to help motivate the players. He knows how to do the work to get players better. Uh, he was always a great college coach, and now he works individually with players, and uh, he has a new place he's working. I'm not allowed to talk and promote the place uh, over the air, but I would just say the guy knows how to coach, and uh, I've asked him to come on today, and he's supposed to come on in a few minutes here, and hopefully he'll come on, but I want him to come on and to uh, – I just – I'm going to – Ask him, look, you've got free reigns here. I have been somewhat negative the last three weeks, and I apologize. Now, look, I've said the right things. I just don't want to be negative all the time. It's easy to bash things, and and I'm disgusted with the direction of some of our governing bodies of tennis. I'm disgusted with college tennis because it is not developing players, and it's about 70% of our scholarships are not going to American players right now. And I'm disgusted because this, the, the whole tennis arena has so much potential. The potential is unbelievable. If, if this was, if you're a coach and the potential that we have in this arena, the United States of America was a player and you don't develop that. Well, I, (laughs) It's not good. I 100% of the time, whenever I was entrusted to coach someone who was quite gifted with their skill set, their hand-eye coordination, their athleticism, and their potential as a tennis player, I used to say to myself that I need to be taken out back and and uh, knocked around or horse whipped, or I need to something bad needs to happen to me if I do not develop the God-given abilities that this young person has. And I've always felt that responsibility as a coach, that my duty as a teacher is to help develop what has been put in front of me and the player that I have in front of me. So uh, I don't want to just bash. I want to really paint a good picture and I want to base it on the potential that, uh, that young people have. And look, the potential that our United States of America has. I wanted to start by saying the very most important thing if you're trying to develop potential in players is that you need to develop your own philosophy of what coaching means to you and what tennis means. About four years ago, I was sitting at Kalamazoo, Michigan, watching uh, potential players for our, our team and I'm sitting there, and I've been fighting, and, and Coach Blumendahl just signed in here. So, Coach, if you'll hang with me here a second, let me see if I get him on the line. Coach Blumendahl, do we have you? Yes. Oh, fantastic. But let me make this point. Um, I was making the point that, number one in coaching – Number one in coaching, folks, you have to develop your own philosophy. So this has been about four years ago as I've been fighting the no-ad scoring and those things. For about seven years, a coach, a fellow coach came up to me from, an I'm just going to say one of the Eastern schools, 
and said to me, Creasy, you know what your problem is? You look at tennis like it's just this hard, hard, rigorous, rigorous uh, sport. Uh, it's just a game. It's just a game. Why do you take it so seriously? And it dawned upon me the different worlds we were coming from as that coach looked at it as just a game and I looked at it as one of the best, very, very best teaching tools that uh, we've ever had developed in, in this country. So I'll come back and I'll add things, but I don't want to take time away from Coach Blumenthal today. Hey, Randy, how are you doing? You, you, uh, you would, what's your normal day? Let me ask you start out by saying, what's your normal day like? Do you put in just normal seven, eight-hour work day? What's your normal day like? No, no. It, um, normal days uh, on the court, 10, 10, probably 10, 11, 12 hours a day, um, uh, five, six days a week. So, um, and then tournaments and all that. So, you know, tennis is one of those things. Development is, you know, kind of a never-ending deal with, uh, you know, you just got to keep plugging away. But a lot of hours on the court, a lot of hours on the court. And I love being on the court and love uh, working with the kids on the court. It gets pretty old, too, if you don't love kids and don't love doing the work. And anybody is successful, one of the lines I've always used is I've never met a successful person that doesn't get up early in the morning and uh, that ever watches the clock while they work. But, um, you know, um, let me jump in. I, I don't want to take that much of your time today, but the name of our program is Unlocking the Full Potential of, the United, of USA Tennis. In the last three yep. weeks, I've been sort of un, unfairly or fairly bashing USTA, bashing the ITA, and I'm just disgusted with what's happening. And uh, let me say it best in one of my sayings or slogans. I had a player that was underachieving about 20 years ago one time, and his father looked at me and he said, Coach, the problem with my son, even with all of his God-given potential, ability is that he shoots an arrow into the air and wherever it lands he runs and draws a bullseye around that arrow and and so and I have talked very often about the tweenerism and the underachieving of America and, and nobody's going to argue we don't even have to go there about how much we have underachieved and how frustrating it is to have a participation mentality more than an excellence mentality. And I've covered that so much on my shows. But what I'd like for you to ask you is now is the solution. If you were in charge of the whole, and I wish you were, I, I really, really wish you were in charge of all of the United States of America's tennis, competitive tennis. I really, really wish you were. It would be it would be a new day, and it would be something that I think would be priceless. But it, let's just say the scenario, if you were in charge, could you talk step-by-step step about some of the things and uh, that, you, that you would like to do? I'm going to give you free reigns there, Coach. So go ahead. Well, it's stuff that's fresh on my mind because I've started a new position up here in the Northeast at another academy. And, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to do to get get off the ground to, to be heading in that direction towards excellence, towards building champions and, and uh, 
kids becoming the best versions of themselves. And as I as I was listening to you talk and and understand your frustrations, I mean there was an entire book written about failures. It was called The Talent Code. And you know we we have dumbed it down to the point where we don't even want to talk about failures in our society anymore. We just want to frame those and make those sound like there's something great, which they ultimately are, but we're doing it in a way that's, that's uh, hurting the kids and not really getting them to look on the inside and learn how to problem solve and become great and be, be really ultimately be what they can be. And it sounds like some kind of cliche or something, but these kids are getting dumbed down and it's, it's really killing the sport in general is killing all sport, but tennis, what you were talking about, um, you know, with the whole thing, the game striving for X, what makes it great is how difficult it is and what, what a tremendous game it is and how it stretches you physically, mentally, emotionally. And to take that away, you think, Oh, it's not that big a deal. Everybody we have, but you're taking away the very role models that as you stretch and, and these guys keep reaching and they keep climbing, these people are the ones you're like, whoa, they inspire everybody else, a whole nother generation. And that isn't going to happen if we keep dumbing everything down. It's like, well, it would just be the randomization of, of tennis as it is and a lot of other things. And it'll almost be like gambling, like, well, he just got lucky. He was born that way and get that one great serve at that time. No, I mean that that's tennis has got so much more depth than that, and then when you take that away um you you are you're taking away the teaching tool and you're taking away what makes these kids great to play play this game so um so anyway that that's a segue into what what would I do what am I starting to do with the the kids well, here let's is, back is up a second, yeah. real quick. I, I want yeah. you to gather your thoughts there, and uh, if we need to, we can go to a commercial. And, and that's yep. fantastic what you just said. That's priceless what you've always already said. If a parent out there is listening to you, and very quickly, without bashing anybody, why has this happened, and how has this <clears throat> happened? Where we've dumbed down. It's happened because. Um, Nobody wants their kids to fail. They they no longer understand the value of failing. And then we have put in participation, and I don't want to get into all the politics, but we've slowly been chipped away at with participation. So everybody gets an opportunity, which really wasn't the intent of anything that was implemented. But now every, now the initiatives, everybody gets an opportunity and we just want everybody to feel good. I don't think sport was ever about that. I don't think life is about that. Um, you know, there, there's a, a portion of it. You know, my mom always wanted me to be happy and feel good. You know, my dad gave a completely different message to me. Um, they were both good. They were what I needed at certain times. But sport, you know, I never felt like, hey, uh, you know, because I signed up, I'm in the lineup. And if I would have ever felt like that, I would have probably never got off the couch and, and did what I did, you know. So um, the failures are really what drive 
the work ethic with a lot of the kids, and it also helps the problem solving along the way. And it starts helping grow your confidence muscle because you start understanding yourself and start figuring out that you can figure things out. That away, slowly chip away at that and do it in the name of it's better for the kids. Wow. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really sad. And even in professional sport, I'm hearing a lot of this. And then we listen to coaches. I just turned off the radio this morning. We're listening to coaches that go, you know, two and 14 in the NFL. What a great guy. You know, he doesn't stretch anybody. He doesn't make anybody upset. Well, come on, come on. That's number one. That's not his job in professional sports. I mean, if he wants to be Dr. Feelgood, then he can get on TV and make everybody feel good. But, you know, and these guys ultimately are going to be people that you'll remember the rest of your life because they're going to make it to where you're searching out what's great inside of you. But it's got, you've got to, you know, there's got to be a little bit of that teardown process. There's got to be a little bit of build back up. So, um, yeah, that's, when we take that away, when we take that away, coach, it's, you know, and, and we're slowly taking every fiber of that away in sport, you know, there's not going to really be any reason. Kids might as well just, we, we you know, do other things. And, and the thing is, it was a portion of kids, and maybe not the largest, but a portion that that was their passion, and that's what inspired them to be great in other things as well. So not it's not for everybody. And in what you say, this is your, as I said, folks, Coach Blumendahl's philosophy that is deep, and you alluded or talked briefly about your mother and your father giving different messages, as mine did, as most people out there. One is usually the nurturer. The other one is usually the hard driver. That's almost always the way that it is with parents and with different people. And it absolutely, when I talked to that coach, when he quartered me at Kalamazoo, and I don't know if you remember the scenario, you were, I think you were up there that week, actually. And this coach, we were on the back courts, and he came by and said, Creasy, why do you care so much? It's just a game. It's just a game. It's not just a game to me. And those of you out there that, they're saying, well, that coach is so intense or something. It's not about that. It's it, it's it's about that it was maybe the best learning tool I've ever had in my life and hundreds of other people. By the way, my assistant coach here, uh, uh, <clears throat> Coach Fosnott, he just brought me a, a video that is online, and I'm going to tell everybody about it. Let's get it out there, Coach. What is it? Nick, What what is the name of the video? Nick Foles. The, the Super Bowl champion, MVP, his video, his press conference, folks go to it right away. What is it called, Coach? Did you Nick Foles uh, after Super Bowl interview? Okay, goal, uh, Nick, uh, just Google Nick Foles post-Super Bowl interview. The whole thing was about hardship and how much he had failed and how important it was for him to fail. And uh, so – that and, and and folks, look, you don't have to be. It can be a participation sport for you, but in other things, allow your children to fail. That's where all of the learning 
takes place. And um, every, we're all afraid, I guess, our kids are going to quit or something. But uh, anyhow, so why it happened, probably a, um, a mentality or a philosophy or a culture in our, in our American culture that just wanted nurturing more than excellence and the compassionate feel-good thing, and how it's happened, it's been bled in over a period of time. Would you say that's right? And then I want to move on, Coach, and get you to set up what we need to do. But would you say it's been bled in because of that? or It's been, yes, it has been. I agree with that. Um, there was an initiative, Make It, where participation was uh, something that, could take place across the board and and then it got out of hand and and now there's a lot of people in uh high powered positions that uh, are making a lot of bad decisions with this participation stuff because it's politically politically correct at the, at the moment so I, uh, yes i agree i uh, uh I, folks i don't want to say i told you so it's been eight or nine years ago. The high school league, okay, I was at the PTR. Actually, by the way, I love the PTR. They have their convention next week. I like those guys. I like that they're still uh, having sort of um, sold out. They're still an independent organization. Dennis Vandermeer should be proud that they're still kicking and doing well. But all of those guys down there, when I went to a uh, – I spoke at one of their symposiums. I don't know. It was – probably 2006, seven, eight in there, but they unveiled the no cut program for high school tennis. And I got up at a breakfast meeting and I said, Whoa, guys, wait a minute. This is very dangerous. And nobody wanted to hear it. I don't think, but I remember speaking very passionately that day about the pitfalls of not cutting players. If they don't meet the standard or by the given participation trophies, and the fallout now is so much that our high school sports now, high school tennis is absolutely just an after-school activity. It is, it is not a rigorous sport at all. It's shameful. It's probably, as far as competitive sports in a high school, I think tennis is probably the most laughable, wouldn't you say? It's, it's, it's maybe the most laughable sport. And so, you can't think of one. I mean, we were at an uh, initial practice. I won't say where, but me and you were together, and and uh, they had donuts. They had donuts out in front of the the courts before the practice. Oh, it was the so Kalamazoo. No, I, and, I think it was up at somewhere. Yeah. The yeah. tournaments, Memphis, Kalamazoo. It was the East. Yeah. I, I forget. We were at a tournament somewhere. Anyhow, the first practice. That's right. They gave yeah. Thirty-five kids showed up, and they ate like three donuts each, and then they went out and you know, got a lot of pats on the back and, and didn't get any better at tennis, but, um, and don't, I don't even think any of them felt like it was a sport, but they were participating in something. So, um, it was, it was was shameful. It was shameful. Yeah. (laughs) It it was shameful. It was shameful. So instead of bashing and we could all go there about the bashing and folks, if you want to hear them, the last three weeks, I was very, very outspoken, about why the scoring system's been dumbed dumbed down. And, Coach, I'm just going to make this one comment. Folks, it's because of the marketeers wanting money more than education for your kids. The marketeers want 
all they want to make sport. They've squeezed tennis dry basically. But I pointed out the gambling, the money, all of the things that they're trying to do at the professional level. But it all goes back to dumbing the score down. If you dumb it down in college, then you dumb it down. And even if it's not about the market, but the fact, the money that in college, all they're trying to do is they're trying to quick market something that in the wrong way, and they're cutting out the heart and the soul of the sport that's been there for 143 years. <clears throat> and uh, so I pointed that out, folks. Go back there and listen to that. So that's all we're going to do with the bashing. Coach, how do we set it up? You're in charge. You're in charge of United States tennis. What would you do? How would you do it? Just a couple things, and then we can expound on that. Um. U.S. tennis, um, <laughs> that that is, uh, yeah. I mean, so so the kids have to be stretched physically, mentally, and emotionally, and it has to be done at the right times. And it's different at different levels on how you would do that. Um, they, they're jumping through a lot of hoops at the moment for no reason, so they have to keep chasing after whatever the greatness is, but. To do the same explain thing over the, and over again. The hoops, like there's so many age groups. So, you're talking so the about. age groups, the age groups playing. You know, it's good to play your peers, and 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 there's a lot of value in that. But to do it over and over again with the same, um, you get the same rewards, and you don't really move forward in any direction, or at least not rapidly when you do it. Um, that that's discouraging to the kids and they all feel that. So um, if, if it's very rigorous to get through the 12s and get to the top in the 12s and then to start back over in the 14s, they start scratching their heads. They got to do it again in the 16s. They're done. Um, you know, in more uh, checking out emotionally than anything else. So um, physically maybe they'll show up, but that's uh, we, we have to find, a better way of doing and basically that's just letting go of control and allowing the events to build naturally um and in uh, building USTA, right control yeah, by the and, USTA. And control by the usta and and it's control based on um how to get participation up and then how to um retain kids in the sport and if they would let go of that and understand that that all happens naturally if the kids are inspired and the inspiration will come from the top. So how do you get Chase? Um, you know, I think we're losing kids from 16 to 23, 24. I agree. Um, some, of it's, some of it's natural because of the college system is so far gone. And from the outside, I can say that clearly. I mean, when I was in, it was a little bit harder. I kept fighting it, fighting it, fighting it. But it's very clear on this side that zero, you're going to get zero help. And if anything, it's killing American tennis because you've got so many internationals that have this is plan B, C, or D for them, and they're becoming the majority of the teams that are out there. So if you six kids to play, if four of them are international, 
and the mindset is this is you know this is basically my plan C. I just need an education. There's zero inspiration for the Americans to climb. I mean, if you had one or two of those kids, and then they could say, hey, I can get to that level. I don't care if they're checked out or not. I can get to that level. That helps the kids out. But when the majority are thinking like that, and then the whole dumbing down of the scoring and the practice and everything else, everybody knows how much time and what it takes to become one of the best in tennis. And you say, well, that's just a small portion. But, again, we're talking about inspiration. So you need that small portion to get everybody else to chase, and then the numbers will naturally come. Um, but we're losing them there. You have, you, you have to find ways to tie somebody, not just go in and politic everything, but somebody that's going to inspire the Americans and the immediate. And in the long term, we're going to have to change, either get rid of college tennis or change it because it's it's not helping. Um, and then the other thing is there has to be avenues on the way out of college tennis, and there's got to be avenues for the 16 to 23, 24-year-olds that, you know, and they to go to pro tennis. And there is a little bit, but there's some there's some late bloomers that are getting lost. And again, those guys can help because they'll climb up to wherever they're going to go, and then the next next level guy will step on top of their shoulders and reach higher. So you're losing a lot of kids in that age group. And, uh, Could I jump in real quick there? Uh, folks, yeah. I really agree with this. If you look at the job that we do uh, with kids and 14 and 14-year-olds and stuff, we usually win world championships and things, but it it is mind-boggling that when they get to be 16, we always say, well, they get cars and puberty hits and all those things, and they go to other sports and other things become more important. But there is no uh, – pot of gold at the end of the rainbow with internationals dominating our sport in college so there's nothing there the USTA has no tournaments for kids after age 18 I think their numbers between 18 and 30 we have almost no one playing tennis that doesn't go to college almost no one plays tennis it's it's um, really dead so what coach Blumendahl is saying folks is is right on it doesn't have to do that but Here's the, the thing that's popping into my head, Coach Blumendahl, and then I've got yeah. to go to quick commercial. Do, do, do we have you for the whole – what time do you have to get off here? What, what's your, how's your time? Um, Ten minutes of the latest. Ten minutes. I've got a meeting okay. i got to go to. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'll wait till afterwards commercial. Let me ask you a quick question. Are we afraid yeah. of winners in the U.S. tennis? Are we afraid of allowing the cream to rise? We're afraid of I, – I think it's deeper than that. I think we're afraid of letting certain personalities rise. I don't think we're afraid of – we've won enough. I don't think we're afraid of winning. I think we, we want to win a certain way, and I think tennis is such an individual sport. you got to let everybody through. You can't, you can't be that confined to the way you think, hey, it's got to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. There, the um, cookie cutter, the person yep. who fits the right image that – the USTA wants. They want the perfect champion. In other words, if Donald yep. Trump was a, I don't want to go to politics, folks, but if he was a tennis player, we would not like him even if he has beaten Federer 10 out of 10 times. Is that right? Yeah. Or a lot uh, of we, would, you know, we would, 
we wouldn't we wouldn't help him get there. You know, like they, they, that's the way they treat it. Like, hey, we want certain kids, and then then it maybe gets deeper than that. Maybe we only want kids that we can take credit for. So, wow, I mean, that's you're really kind of that's floundering when you get to it, those positions. Yeah, um, it cuts out the individualist, the rebel who usually like a McEnroe. Like it cuts out a McEnroe and things like that that pro, you know, that uh, yeah. would have, would probably have never fit into the cookie cutter that they wanted. And so, no, well, almost all those guys you could probably go down straight down the list would have eliminated them almost all of them. But um, it, the the reason it gets back to the reason why you're doing what you're doing, and if you're doing it. For fame and fortune, it's probably the wrong thing. You need to go do something else. Um, you, you, if you're doing it to help the kids in every way you can help them, mentor them, give everything you've got, um, you know, then then uh, you have a different initiative there. And it's hard. You you fall into those traps very easily, especially with bureaucracies. So um, that's. Yeah, that th- those are uh, um, very difficult questions, but um, that that's where I think we're losing them. That's where I think we're losing them, and and we could probably have a whole show on that, on why why we're losing them at that level, or the, you know it's it's an age group, but basically it's a level that we're losing them at. I want to have a fellow on from down the Miami area is writing a lot of articles right now and is very local about the uh, USTA and um, you know it's there's a thing about delivering messages without delivering blows <laughs> and and maybe he's not you know the USTA could use people you want people who are going to bring the opposing viewpoint but my question becomes we'll never be different if we don't unleash the competitive genius of the individuals around our whole country. If we have to package them like the USTA wants us to package them, or the ITA is laughable the way they're packaging things. And, uh, what the, the, and, and so do we have to just change that? Do we have to, how do, how do we do that? I've started the American Patriots, but, uh, what do we do, Coach? Um, yeah, you, you are, there's going to have to be complete shifts in in thought processes, and to do that, there has to be shifts in in the way people do things. Um, whether it's with the USTA, whether it's with college tennis, it could start with a set of rules. It could start with um, you know a mission statement, but it's got to be switched. It's got to be completely changed, and then from there, it's got to grow. Um, but the, the the those those things are broken. And again, I mean, we keep saying the same thing, but everybody in those positions say, "Hey, we don't have the talent. We have the talent, folks." I mean, that's that's what everybody needs to understand. We have the talent. Once again, fourteen and under, we're dominating. You know, we're dominating around the world. Like where our players are are as good or better than everybody around the world. Um, Fifteen, sixteen, whereas whereas twenty three, it's not even close. It's not even close. So that's the problem. 
we've identified it. Now, instead of marketing and making everybody feel good, why don't we fix the problem? Well, let me ask and, you this. And if we did, that would change the entire paradigm of tennis because the last okay. time – now, women's tennis is – you know, I'm sure it's grown because there's been some role models, but men's tennis, you know, not not so much. It's went the other way. Well, when the USTA or ITF, whoever, decided that we've got to make tennis – custom suited for gambling, the gambling industry, and for marketing at the highest level to make it more random. The first thing they did, I am absolutely sure, they went after college tennis. (laughs) The college tennis has always been the engine of greatness in this country. I mean, my golly, back in the 60s, we had players like Dennis Ralston win the NCAA, then go play Wimbledon. I think he won one Wimbledon doubles after winning the NCAA year. Whether it was Arthur Ashe, Jimmy Connors, these were all college champions. And it wasn't the fact that players turned pro. In the 80s, we also had, Coach, we had 41 men and women in the night, about 86, 87, that had made top 100 in the world. They were all American-born college graduates that went on and played. Since that time, it's nil. We only have three players right now, three players that, well, actually four. Tennis Sangren, just his showing at the Australian Open, but we have Steve Johnson, I think we have Nicole Gibbs, and, uh, of course, John Isner, four, four. But what happened, the marketeers went after college tennis, and in doing so, it's now been pushed down into junior tennis, and therefore, in junior tennis and college tennis, both have it. In six or seven years, we will they will bleed into the professionals, these abbreviated scoring. Now, I'm giving the background, but my question is this. I believe college tennis is the engine for tennis in all of this country and, and uh, for to be great again. Would you lay out for everybody before you go – what you believe college tennis should look like in the United States. If you were in charge, let's shift. You're in charge of the ITA now. You are the executive director of the ITA. What should should it look like? Um, Okay. In the fall, you would play your team tennis, but it would be short, a very short season, eight to ten weeks. Um, The reason to do it in the fall is – is to piggyback off of uh, football events and uh, um, kind of build it around football and kind of get a team excitement thing um, going. But short period of time where everybody can follow the season, everybody knows what's going on, eight to ten weeks, and then Grand Slam in the spring. And the other reason for that is the the weather patterns are better for the country. So in the spring – play your, your indoor championship, your clay court championship, your hard court championship, and then crown a champion at the end of all that. Um, so, and that would springboard into the summer and, and those kids would go out and play pro events. So, you know, you could, in however you could do it, you tie that into what would be going on in the summertime, but um, make it where people could follow 
and it would be a true ranking. Um, have a, obviously the ratings are, are very important, but you have a true ranking um, with college tennis and true champions. And the kids would, you know, they would find their niches and they would find things that would inspire them and they would chase after it. Um, and that that's the way I would set it up. And I would take away, you know, a lot of the the practice regulations and and all the all the little goofy things they've done in in the name of uh, student welfare that's actually why discouraged the all the things? athletes. Why have they done the goofy? Why have they done the goofy things? Is there any rhyme or reason? Um, they, they they have set up um, uh, things with. Uh, um, is there any rhyme or reason? I think it's politically correct, and they they've got leaders that are in in place that haven't ever played sport, and it looks good on the outside in. It's like oh, we're getting it's education first, but it's actually the other way around. It's entertainment first, education second. They took the education out of it, so they uh, you you have leaders within the athletic departments now that have never been involved in sport and they do it for um, perception reasons and they do it for reasons for their own jobs. So, um, you know, however the, whatever the, the political correct thing is that month or year, that's what they're going to jump on. And, and uh, then they find the, the right type of student athlete that doesn't necessarily want to compete and they they uh use them as is the poster person for that uh you know that initiative so that's that's how that all that becomes and and uh they you know it, it all happens because that's what they're focused on and then they get the attention of certain people that maybe don't even like athletics and don't understand the education that's involved in it and uh you know, and, and that that's where it all comes from. So, you know, the the way to turn that around is leadership. Well, coach, I listen, I there's so many jewels uh and uh that you're giving and the wisdom is, is just tremendous. I I appreciate you being on and uh we're gonna discuss a few little bit more of this. Coach Randy Blumadol, thank you very, very much for your time. And um, I'm going to have you back on American Tennis, uh, the brilliance. Uh, hey, congratulations on, I think, five national championships. Now, two world championships that you've coached. Congratulations, Coach. Folks, we'll be right back. Thank this you, is Coach. Coach Chuck Reese's American Tennis. Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. Folks, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I am the leading expert in the world 
actually, without bragging, it's the truth. Since 1979, I have learned momentum training tools that will help you, your business, your players, your coaches, learn about momentum control. It is the most powerful force in sport, and it can be for your life. Coach, players, parents, give me a call or look at chuckcreasy.net, and I'll help you learn about momentum control and the greatest hidden secret in sports and the most powerful as well. Think about it. I 
said to somebody the other day, if I needed a heart surgeon to to save my life, I I couldn't care less what religion he is, what what or he or she is. I, or wait a minute, the gender, the religion, the race, the beliefs, how old they were or how young they are. If they're the best. I want them working on my heart, and you would be the same way. But right now in our country, we should want the best working on the problems that we need solved, and it is happening right now. And, by the way, we need – I couldn't care less what that family picture the USTA or the ITA has, what it looks like as far as old people, gender, uh, what the political beliefs are, what anything is. As long as they get the job done, get it done. It's fair and square. Get it done. Motivate people again. Let's let's get people excited about playing tennis again. And, and guys, oh my gosh, don't even. I don't want to hear one more USTA person say we're worried or concerned about pickleball. Give me a break. That's laughable. That's going to be like the hula hoop. We you know bullwinkle tennis, hula hoop. Pickleball, I mean, it's it's absolutely absurd. Tennis has been around for 143, actually it's 146 years now, and it will be around another 146 if we honor it first and stop trying to squeeze everything we can out of it. What Coach said, though, about the college season, I want to go over here in a few seconds, uh, minutes, and it makes so much sense. But think of a college tennis team that plays six to eight weeks in the fall, September and October, and is done by Thanksgiving. You piggyback football games, and you know what? If they wanted to play um, any type of format, I'd be all for it. I would sure want the uh, traditional scoring if we can, but even with that, I would not be so outraged if they would just sort of market that like – hey, this is our college tennis showboat stuff because it's not developing players. It won't develop players, what we've got going on now. In something in the fall, the team team tennis does not develop players because when a player wins, they only grow arithmetically. A player could go 10-2 and and people are asking, who did they lose to? And they, they must, if they were 10-2 and two in tournament tennis, they might be in the top 10 in the country or something. But in college tennis, you only grow arithmetically. When you fall, you fall geometrically. I cannot tell you how many players I've had go through slumps, and it takes, them, it takes two or three or four weeks sometimes to get a player out of a slump. Always I will backtrack and make sure that they get wins against lesser players on the team and – this happens to all players. They go through slumps sometimes. Tournament tennis, however, tournament tennis players grow exponentially. They only fall arithmetically. So you will often see a player lose first round, lose first round, lose first round, and then guess what? They break through, they qualify for a big event, and then they make it to the semifinals, and they are off and running. And always – Always, players, when they come onto the scene, they do it with a big performance like Tennis Sangren might be. Tennis Sangren might be a great example to prove what I'm saying. He has played qualifier after qualifier after qualifier. 
He's been knocked down, knocked down, knocked down, and guess what? Finally, he puts it together and makes quarterfinals at the Australian Open, and now he's pretty much a household name throughout the South and definitely in the state of Tennessee. In all of those years that his parents spent, I think he's from the little town of, uh, not Gatlinburg, but uh, dang, what's the name of that small town? Um, up north, east of Nashville, I believe. What the heck? Little town in Tennessee, his folks, he and his brother grew up playing tennis. They got the job done. They took the boys around. They got to go to University of Tennessee. After all of that, he breaks through. So players grow exponentially in tournament tennis. They only fall arithmetically. So you'd have team tennis six to eight weeks. You'd have it over by Thanksgiving. And then from Thanksgiving on, you would put together the Grand Slam of college tennis. You would start probably with a clay event, clay court event to either be played in December or early January before the 15th or maybe January 31st or something. You have a clay court event. It'd be great to have it, you know, the first week or two of January in Florida or Texas or in some warm place. Then you would have the national indoor event, which you could have in February or March, well, maybe late February would be the national event. Then you would have the All-American Tournament, which you would do in a nice climate someplace out in California or Florida or Palm Springs or somewhere. Then you would have the NCAA individual event. Now, these would become the Grand Slam of college tennis, and tournaments would become satellites around these events. Every region, every state, every local college would start putting together events to build up to the crescendo of these events and guess what instead of being tired in june and players grinding into the summer they would be springboarded into the summer and go out and pursue their collegiate careers the college format does not develop players and ita ita board you guys you guys don't know how to develop players I don't care. You can run the board, but you don't know how to develop players. How about talking to Coach Blumendahl? Call me. I know how to develop players. I've done it for 40 years. And it doesn't happen through team tennis. Folks, we've got a lot of work to do. Let's all get on board. Please email me at chuckcreasy at gmail.com. And folks, go to my website, chuckcreasy.net. Join the American Tennis Patriots. We got it rolling. We're going to get it rolling. We're going to try to push through some of these ideas and much more. We need your help. We need your support. And you know what? Tennis should be honored as a great teaching tool. Tennis should be honored for all that it's done for our country. Tennis should be honored. It should not be marketed like just a cheap suit at a local retail store and see what we can squeeze out of it. Folks, hang in there. We're going to get this stuff done. I'll see you next week on American Tennis. This is Coach Semper Fi tattooed on his left arm.
Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.